We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. That's bwhustle.com backslash join. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers fell yesterday to the Miami Heat, 96 to 94, in a replay of the 2020. NBA Finals. It was a game where the Lakers, after the first quarter, defended pretty well. And I thought we made some progress toward playing without Anthony Davis and Dennis Schroeder. But we shot terribly. We shot under 40% from the field, under 30% again from three, including a whopping one for 13 from three in the fourth quarter. Two straight games without both AD and Dennis Schroeder. And I'll get to that a little more on why I think that's important. But two straight games under 100 points without those guys. So our defense, I thought we competed. A, a big story throughout this season has been, you know, Lakers kind of kind of floating around, only engaged for certain segments of the game. I didn't think that was the case with this game. This was, they competed, um, shots didn't fall. I also thought that Vogel started to make some adjustments that worked in 
life without AD and Schroeder, and then still has some progress to make, specifically with LeBron off of the floor. So I'd love to talk a little bit about the offensive end, Darius. Obviously, there's a certain part of this that's just shots didn't fall, right? But beyond that, what did you see on the offensive end and over these last couple of games in terms of adjusting without two of our main shot creators? So adjusting without two of the main shot creators is, you know, things just become more of a lift for LeBron, I feel like. And I don't even want to call it a silver lining because I have a sense it was this was very much related to Miami specifically. And if you want to go the encouraging route, it's that Vogel sort of identified this is something that is working against this specific team or this is a way to attack this specific team. And I think it helps that they just played this team in the finals like four months ago or whatever in game plan for them yeah in game plan for them and knew some of what their base coverage would look like and what they want to do in order to optimize lebron specifically against that team in order to generate good shots and what did you see what did they do to do that they started running just a ton of guard to lebron screens right and, and west kcp yeah kcp west Kuz, caruso like any of the other guards that were in the game mostly whoever duncan robinson was guarding right um the miami tried to start to then um scram robinson out of the action a couple of times and Basically, the Lakers adjusted to that adjustment as well, just by basically still having um, a lot of times it was Jimmy Butler who was on that side. And so Jimmy would then wave Duncan off and then he would go with the original ball screen. And then that that Lakers guard would just ghost out of that screen and just clear to the other side and then jimmy had to go with them and then now robinson is alone on an island again with this single defender and then braun would call that guy over to come and set set a screen and they got a lot of good stuff out of that both out of actually screening and rolling out of pop actions out of ghost actions and out of short roll like slip out actions and the the screener was doing a pretty good job i feel like of reading how Miami's guys were defending that, what the open spot was on the floor in order to get to. And then LeBron's a brilliant passer and he was hitting those guys in stride and creating open shots. That's that's me going deep X's and O's stuff on- No, I appreciate it, yeah. Like on one particular action. And like I said, the encouraging side to me was, is like they went to that against a specific opponent. And that's really like in the minutia of game planning stuff for one specific team. The other side of that is though, is that look, man, like they scored 96 points still or whatever, 92 points, like yeah, 94. Yep. Like it worked, but only so far, this team is still struggling mightily offensively. They are not hitting outside shots. They are not creating enough advantage within their half court sets and they don't have any advantage creators there except for LeBron. Um, Trez and Kuz can score in one-on-one matchups, but they're not drawing enough help to actually make teammates better. They're more finishers than creators. And I would say that Trez is a little more of a creator than Kuz is, but it's for himself, right? Like neither guy is that much of a passing threat, right? Like a lot of times you want that shot creator to be able to score themselves, but also create for others. Then the other side of that, you got Mark who can pass and can get shots for others, but isn't enough of a scoring threat himself. So, So it's kind of an either or there. Mike, 
So one of the premises of the Lakers offense under Frank Vogel, and Pete and I have talked a lot about this for the last two years, is that it's very 90-centric within the context of we have a great player. In fact, we have two of them. And we're going to make you help, right? And then we're going to either score if you don't help. We may score even if you do help. But if you help enough, we're going to pass to open players. And now that AD is out and Schroeder, who is also sort of a draw help level guy, the offense is struggling a bunch. Like from your interactions with the guys on the team, do you are are you getting the sense that there's any sort of frustration starting to build up with any of these guys about some of the offensive struggles? Do, or do you think that they're chalking it up to we just have to hit shots? I think that they're aware that they are collectively tired and some guys will acknowledge it. Uh, KCP acknowledged it last night. Some guys like LeBron don't allow themselves to acknowledge it, which goes to his just insane mental toughness, which was the same as Kobe Bryant. And that's why they are who they are, right? Those guys, those type of people can conquer the world. But you can see, you know, even in LeBron's shot, um, Mm -hmm. so fourth quarter, fourth quarter, the numbers were just absurd. The Lakers were one for 13 from three in the fourth quarter. And LeBron was one for six overall, 0 for four from three. And I thought... What Miami did, and this was smart, and you would expect that, right? So Spolstra, he's thinking, okay, no AD, no shooter. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have, I'm going to way overhelp at the rim on any time LeBron um, tries to get in there, and he'll finish some. But we're going to give him contact, and it didn't help that he wasn't getting any calls. Uh, so that that was one thing. But we're going to way overhelp on that, and that led to LeBron, you know, having one of his worst shooting nights of the year. LeBron does not go seven for twenty-one too often. Okay, and that was one for eight from three. But they were perfectly content with since the Lakers were so cold overall from three, they were perfectly content with them just taking a ton of threes. And so they took 45. This is a team that is, I think, 26th in the league in attempts at 30.5 per night. They took 45 threes and, you know, they were shooting a decent clip, actually, in through three quarters. And then everything just dried up. And I think it was a mix of, of many things, legs. And part of the reason why the legs were gone is because they were really playing much better on defense. In fact, Pete, I thought they this was the first sort of, okay, AD's not here, but that doesn't mean we can't play good defense. And so that got established. Miami did not score the ball well after the first quarter. So 36 points in the first from that point on, 23, 22, and 15. That's that's usually enough for the Lakers to come back and win a game. They just couldn't hit shots in the fourth. And, and they knew that. And that's how, Pete, I know you, you uh, were watching and editing some of the sound. That's how LeBron basically broke it down. He's like, look, Play well enough to win defensively. We didn't enough shots. Like, I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, it is what it is. We're minus a couple guys. You know, we, we get it. We get what happened here. Yeah, I thought yesterday's game in that respect represented some progress, right? Defensively, we did play well without. I've been talking lately about that whole idea of advantage creation, advantage extension, and finishing advantage. Defensively, Anthony Davis is an advantage eraser. And covers for a lot of mistakes. Vogel talks a lot about this. And being able to play great defense without him on the court it like he's obviously the the crown jewel of our defense but our defense goes beyond just him having Dennis shooter out right that hurts our, our ball pressure but we're capable of playing good defense even being down as we are with both shooter and anthony davis where we're really hurting is on the offensive end and in that 
you know, I've talked a lot about the idea of stacking advantage. Last year was the, uh, you know, rim protection upon rim protection, put pressure on the rim on the offensive end. And at some point, the defense breaks. The The flip side of that is, while we're still a very good team and we've got a lot of good players, ha- missing Anthony Davis and Schroeder is harmful to our offense in that if you're missing too much of something on the other end right not stacking but you're you're lacking in the ability to collapse a defense right Dennis Schroeder Anthony Davis in the ways that they do um you things fall apart and otherwise really good players Alex Crusoe has been struggling um you know Wes Matthews KCP Kuz they all get put into positions that they're not like what they're good at is not the thing that they have to be asked to do in those circumstances. What was interesting to me, Darius, about the game yesterday was LeBron, despite his seven for 21 shooting performance was a plus 11 in that game. And that was because they're a paint swarm team as Vogel talks about. So they're going to try to, you know, LeBron got a shot blocked in the paint a few times, but the reason we took 45 attempts is because they're going to collapse the paint. They're going to take all of that away. And we adjusted so that we could get these open looks. Yes, they didn't fall, but we weren't getting those open looks when LeBron wasn't on the floor. So I was happy, not even close, right? Now, that's in in those non-LeBron minutes, especially without AD and Schroeder. So just one point there, before the game, because we, on our last pod, we discussed Quinn Cook and maybe giving him a look offensively for Quinn Cook and Harrell. And I asked Vogel about that pregame, and he said, yeah, that absolutely he said, offensively, Quinn Cook can help us in that sense. And he's, he specifically said offensively. And right, right. <laughs> we, know, we know Frank and we know that he's going to tend to go, as you guys have both said, he's going to tend to go defense. And he did. So he kept it to that nine-man rotation. And they defended, as we mentioned, Miami pretty well. They defended Jimmy Butler pretty well. They defended Bam pretty well overall, although he went over the top um, on several occurrences. The one guy they couldn't defend was Kendrick Nunn. And he was just hitting everything, you know, from the perimeter, five of six from three, like that really killed you. Just like Joe Harris and TLC killed him last game. But he didn't, he opted not to go offense. He figured, hey, we've got enough to get it done. We're getting enough looks to win. I'm going to stick with the defense. And he didn't play Quinn Cook. And I just thought that was interesting. No, that's absolutely the case. And I've said this a couple of times, but my, from from watching the tape and from having some understanding of of the X's and O's is whenever Vogel has a problem, he almost invariably tries to solve it with defense, right? And like, if, if I have to give anything up, it's not going to be the defensive end. That's our core identity. And I think that that's defensible even in this context. So I would like to see Cook get some run because we do need to hit some damn shots for sure. Um, but I understand that. So then it becomes a question of how do we function without LeBron on the floor we just need to survive those minutes right that's essentially we don't need to go on a a 10 to 2 run with LeBron on the bench we need to ideally break even in those non-LeBron minutes and there were a couple of different things that I saw him try that didn't work out Um, one specifically was running the offense through Mark when LeBron was on the bench ran a lot of elbow series and the problem is is that since Mark is not a scoring threat in and of himself, and we don't have anybody coming off of screens that you really have to go, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap, like Duncan Robinson, for example, right, that you really have to step out on, it becomes this, like, there's a lot of switching, there's not a lot of advantage created in the first place that you need some sort of gravity, 
from a scorer to be able to provide. And then that becomes harmful on defense. I actually thought our our half court defense in particular, the whole game was actually pretty good. It but when we're they're getting live rebounds or there are live ball turnovers, those become turn into offensive conversions as well. So I'm curious your thoughts, Darius, not uh, both on what you saw in the non-LeBron lineups in the last game and how you think those can get better in the future without both Schroeder and AD. Schroeder for the next few days, AD for the next four weeks or so. So a couple of things, man. Like, I think the Lakers have some okay offensive actions that they can go to if they play them out and function with high-level decision-making within those sets, right? And so I'll give you two examples. There was a play where the Lakers went to their handoff series, their elbow handoff series, right? So ball got entered into Gasol on the right elbow, and it's KCP in the left corner. Kuz and I think Trez are going to do the exchange, right? Or it might be actually Trez is at the elbow and not Gasol. Either yeah, way. it wouldn't be both of them together, yeah. Right. So I think it's actually Trez that has the ball now. They go to the entry and KCP comes off and then he gets the hand off. He takes two hard dribbles and Kuz is the guy who sets the second screen. So he's then the pop man, right? When KCP comes off and curls, it's Kuz who then pops. KCP drove hard, and then that collapsed the defense. He took two dribbles. He pulled up, pivoted, kicks out to Kuz. Kuz hits a three. That's playing something through all the way to basically like your fourth option within a set and milking it all the way to the point where you finally create enough advantage in order to get something positive out out of that but it also requires a certain level of execution and decision making and and decision making each step of the way in order to execute that there are new lineups right like that's something that requires that degree of precision that you have to have familiarity these lineups we don't play without lebron or anthony davis on the floor so i actually would go in the other direction of especially if we're gonna have tht on the court to me it's tht and trez spread pick and rolls like the one thing that tht can do on a a really high level on the offensive end even at this point is be the ball handler in a spread pick and roll and then spray those passes out to the the corner or get all the way to the basket and trez can put that pressure on the rim but to me like if lebron's not on the floor trez needs to be on the floor because he's our best offensive player outside of lebron right now um and i actually think mike that a level of simplifying what we do in this little stretch in these lineups that come playoff time with ad hopefully with Schroeder. obviously you know injuries could be there there too but that simplifying things right now on the offensive end is how we can get some production out of those non-lebron lineups yeah and harrell was really good last night and i thought the game before he only played i think 15 minutes and in this one he ends up with 24 which is i I, i'd be happy if he got 30 and if you have to take some Mm -hmm. of those minutes away from keith if you have to take some of those minutes away from mark uh, mark played 24 keith played 17 you know however you want to get there you know kuzma played 34 i'm fine with that actually especially with the way that he was playing but yeah, Harold Harold is just he's not he's been better defensively, I think, than early in the season. And he's just always a threat on offense. So I agree with you. I'd, I'd love to see him out there more. 
And he was a guy that Miami didn't have that traditional, the one guy that gives him problems is the traditional seven footer who you just plant at the rim and you're like, okay, Montrez, if you want to take that 18 footer over the top, feel free. I'm just saying it right here. Um, they That's don't really, right. In our seven foot, 260, yeah, right, yeah. They don't have that play. And that player, I, I'll, I'll acknowledge that there isn't really a great so – it's why kind of when the Lakers last year would play the Clippers, Harrell, same thing. He would run into either AD or Dwight or JaVale, and he just wasn't able to have that same kind of impact except on putbacks, uh, essentially. So if it's a team in a matchup like Miami, I would like to see – plenty more Trez and there are going to be matchups against like Phoenix, for example, that'll be problematic if they have Aiden on the court, but in theory, Aiden's starting and then he won't be there and Trez can go and attack the Sun's second unit. Like that, the same thing with Utah. When Gobert's not in there, Harrell has to be on the court. When Gobert's in there, uh, you don't want him out there. That, that's when you want either Mark spacing out to five or AD spacing out to five. But yeah, in these type of matchups, boom, give me as much Harrell as I can have. I get simplifying things, right? I also think that when you simplify things, the ask actually gets bigger in its own way, right? Because what you then require of people is to play as an individual up potentially a level or two than what you're typically asked to in order to generate the type of advantage that you have. And and then so it's it's an interesting so I'm not saying I disagree with you because I think that that going to Trez or asking THT to play a more natural role to him, which is sort of an on-ball player, is asking guys to play to their strengths. My question to you is, do you think those strengths are strong enough to have the type of impact where they can stay afloat in non-LeBron minutes? There's no perfect solution right now, right? Um, and so... Sometimes they will. I think this is the. I think this is our best option of a bunch of imperfect options. I don't think that our offensive actions are particularly sophisticated. We run our staggers. We run our elbow series. These are very common throughout the NBA. It's also like we, the whole way we go through the regular season is getting LeBron and AD the type of touches that they're going to get in the postseason and getting guys a bunch of reps in those circumstances of when to cut when to set the pin screen all of that so i the the problem with two of our main guys out especially one of those guys that that draws that help in isolation is that as a result of how many reps we get in that we don't have a bunch of off-screen reps and we don't have any the personnel that has the gravity this is ultimately what it comes down to, to me is and this is a question flip back to you is when lebron isn't on the floor who has the gravity to be able to create advantage regardless of the it could be a set it can be an isolation it can be a pick and roll but who is like the primary guy or who can be that guy that draws that second or that one and a half defender, that soft double, right? Like who can that be? Who are the guys on the team that we can kind of base our actions off? If I can go big picture on this, if you look at the makeup of the roster and just the way that you win an NBA game in the way and you win the game in a postseason, it's almost, I don't want to say it's, it's a waste of time because there are certain, these actions right now could help them get through a dry spell especially without certain stars, but you're ultimately not going to do a lot of this. And, and there's a reason for that in, in the teams that do like they go in there, the, they go into the season and they're like, okay, wait, we don't have a star or we've got a guy that's not quite a star. You know what we need a system. You know, we have to take a million threes. 
we got to <laughs> we got to we got to think we got to scheme it up basically we have to really and like there are these this works in certain colleges um right where you just have kind of the system and you, you plug a guy in and that it just doesn't work in the playoffs even the, the most high level of systems for the most part end up getting broken down into screen roll your star go at this defense late and of course we just saw the lakers win a championship with it of course the triangle was meant as a little bit of a of a solution to that under Phil Jackson. And that took you you couldn't even put that in now because teams don't practice enough. Like you had to have Tex Winter come in, and then you have to have you have to have a guy like Jordan and a guy like Kobe to really master it. And then they would still just end up kind of running ISO or screen roll when it came when it came down to it in money time anyway. So I like what that did for Phil Jackson. It, it was I loved it as a sort of a philosophical thing to get everybody on board, but Right now, I'm I'm just finding myself like, yeah, sure, you could you can figure out who that next guy is, and you know, put something in, and maybe it helps you get a win against Washington. But ultimately, it's still going to come down to what your roster is and what the personnel is. I wouldn't mind playing Cook and having him partner with Trez in pick and roll actions. I wouldn't mind giving the ball to THT and asking him to do some of the same. Right. One of the reasons why. I would almost want the Lakers to get sharper in some of the things that they do now, even if they don't create advantage with it, is that Vogel's not going to like suddenly change up a bunch of stuff relative to what they do offensively, unless it's specifically to cater to LeBron. Right. And like what they that's why I said like against the Heat, I thought it was sort of a breath of fresh air to see them continue to go with this similar action over and over and over again in order to try to break the Heat's defense. The flip side is, though, is that they were only going to do that for LeBron, right? Like That's right. They're not hedging high on LeBron and sending two, or they're not hedging high on, on uh, the non-LeBron lineup. Yeah, and I'm saying even Vogel isn't going to do anything like this Except for LeBron, right? If something's working for Trez, for example, right? Like Trez has this tasty matchup that he's just going to go to over and over and over again. Vogel's not going to say, all right, let's start running two or three different types of screen actions. Every possession, we're going to vary up a different screen action just for Trez in order to get him a touch so that he can go attack this one specific matchup in which he has an advantage. Right? Uh, like, maybe we should be doing that right now, though. That's kind of the the, the point, right? Is in those non-LeBron lineups that there's value. It's in so that. much easier said than done, though, Pete. It's just you can't like again. They're barely having shootarounds, let let alone practices. They're getting they're having guys in and out. Shooter is now going to miss two more games. Then he's going to be back. And I think like what Vogel ultimately is, these guys is as smart as many of them are And LeBron at the top of that list. It is really difficult to put something in like this uh, at, and have it stick for more than a game. Um, and that's why he emphasizes defense, because that's the thing that can stick and it can that, that can be emphasized. And then the rest of the stuff there, you know, yeah, yes, they will. Caruso said it. They added a couple of actions in. And Frank, they will continue to do so, but you just can't count on it. Well, that's that's exactly why I'm advocating for spread pick and rolls, because we don't have the practice time. We have all of these lineups that are unfamiliar with each other. If we're trying to do anything with any degree of sophistication and add it in new right now, of course, it's not going to work in games. You need way more continuity than we have time for right now. But a spread pick and roll, two guys in the corner, one guy on the weak side wing. 
Trez comes up and sets a ball screen for Cook or THT or whatever. That's that's a simple action that is already in what we do that we can get some production. This is all short-term thinking, yeah, right? But you, you know what I'm saying? Go ahead, D. No, it's just like, so I hear what you're saying. And I think playing Cook for a shift or two a game, fine. Playing, t- giving THT his normal minutes, but asking him to maybe do a little bit more. Fine. Like I'm with that because none of that is really expanding outside of what they typically do. Right. Right. My thing is, is saying, hey, in the short term, we're going to run 45 ball screens a game now. Right. Like I think that it's disingenuous to imply that that's even an approach that the coaching staff is going to consider within the context of Vogel and the systematic approach that he's going to take to this season. And this is just a rough patch right now. And Vogel likely just going to say, and to a certain extent, I agree with this is look, we're going to pull up our bootstraps. We're going to compete every night. We're going to do the stuff that we've been doing. We want to do it better, right? Next man up. We'll get through this rough patch. And in three weeks or four weeks or six weeks, like we'll hopefully be back to the level that we were at maybe four or six weeks ago. Right. And get this team on the right path that they need to be in. Like, it's like the same argument that I saw yesterday online related to the report that the Marcus cousins and the rockets were going to part ways. And there were a bunch of fans in my mentions basically saying like, yeah, like Boogie would be like a great option for like the Lakers. And I sort of pushed back against that idea. My comment to to that was, this is a rough patch, man. Like it's a rough patch with health. It's, it's a rough patch in terms of like their mental and physical stamina. They need a break and short-term stopgap type fixes all sound good in principle, but in practice, What this team needs is a good two weeks off and a chance to recharge their batteries. And I don't think any sort of fixes on the margins are really going to turn the ship around at this point. Like you may get a little bit of success here or there, but this is the NBA, man. Like you run four or five straight ball screens with THT and defenses are going to adjust. Like you do the same thing with cook and defenses are going to adjust. And that's where the individual ask of those individual players, the lift becomes too heavy for them. And then you end up in a similar rut to what you were in before. It's why I would advocate just doing what you've been doing and asking them to try to do it better and see where that gets you. Pete, I want to interject not so much on your behalf here, but like towards your point from a coaching standpoint, you can put more of that stuff in and just like just so that you have it. And then the players have to be the ones, at least in part, to decide if they're going to go execute it more. And so you don't just because you're introducing, hey, guys, look, if you get in this situation and we put Quinn in the game, right, here's what we want you to run like that. Here's an option. And you drill it a couple of times. So it's just so it's not something that, hey, this is what we have to do. This is the scouting report. And it's going to depend on Quinn Cook coming in because guess what? Then they're going to take advantage of Quinn Cook on the other end. But at least I I don't think you're wrong in just putting that out, putting that idea out there. And I think, by the way, that they have talked about it some. So that's all you can sort of have it both ways, because I agree with Darius. Big picture. uh, But that doesn't mean that you can't introduce a couple of things to try and get you out of a rough spot if you if you need it. 
Yeah, this is certainly a rough patch, but part of it, if we were going through a rough patch and we had our full complement or even just Schroeder, right? AD is going to be out for about four weeks. Schroeder is going to be out for a few more days. So I'm just talking about these next couple, like this Washington game, for example, I think it's an important game coming up. I think we need to win this game. I think we need Washington's on their longest winning streak right now, four games in the last three years, right? They're not a good team, but they're playing some of their best basketball of the season right now. And after Washington, I think we've got Utah. We've got like, we need to win this game, right? And so running, Do we? I'm not saying just just run ball screens over and over again, right? That That's the only thing that you do, but you can mix it up between those ball screens, Trez on the left block, but continuing to do what we do for the sake of long-term continuity, it's not long-term continuity because it's not running through Anthony Davis. It's not like these are not plays or personnel that are going to be doing this in the playoffs. So I think that there's some degree of value, even if it is short term, let's just, I'm totally with you, D let's get to the all-star break. That's what's important. But I think that there's a way to do that in a way to pick up a couple of wins that in the absence of shooter and AD, what we normally do won't work because we're so predicated on individual shot creation, the way our offense is built that in the absence of that, we need to make some adjustments or else those lineups without LeBron on the floor are going to continue to be really, really bad on the offensive end. They're going to continue to be bad. Breaking news. Breaking news, like, and I don't mean to sound, I don't know, flippant here or, and, and I don't want to turn, turn, turn this into an argument at all. A healthy disagreement is fine. What I will say is though, is I just don't see the value. I'd like to win the games. I'd like to win the games. This team right now is in such a funk and in such a hole that you say we need to win the Washington game. I would not be surprised if the Lakers lose this Washington game. Like maybe they'll play well enough to win. Maybe Braun has a big night. Maybe Braun, Kuz, and Trez all have a big night on the same night. Maybe Westbrook well, could just miss, uh, miss a million shots too. That, that you know, <laughs> or he could look at the Lakers perimeter defense the way it's been playing of late and say, "Yeah, this is the game where I'm going ten for sixteen, which is sort of been." what's been happening to the Lakers of late. It's why this stretch of games to me, honestly, like I was frustrated against the heat game. I really wanted to win. Like the look on Alex's face at the end of the game, like after he missed that shot, like I felt for him, like they had worked their asses off in the second half in order to, to win that game. But when I watch this team and we've all watched so much basketball over how many decades now, like, This to me just looks like one of those stretches where it's just like, look, man, if there's any part of the season that does not matter to me right now within the context of like where this team wants to go, it's this stretch right now that doesn't matter. And so your argument to me, Pete, feels like exactly it doesn't matter. So since it doesn't matter, let's tweak this and do that and try to do a couple of things in order to get some wins that would be helpful, I think, for mentally, psychologically, and and just to give this team a boost. My piece is that, yeah, it'd be nice to win these games, but you know what? Like This team doesn't have it right now, and and I don't know what to say about that, but they don't. They don't. So... Just to put a bow in this before we take a break and get on to kind of how this impacts the rest of the standings and such, I would say, Darius, that what you're describing right now is the way that I generally am 
after the games in describing the Lakers and saying, here's why it doesn't really matter. Basically sort of explaining it away for the big picture. But I don't think that's the approach that you, that the team should take. I don't think that's the approach that the players should take, or certainly the coaching staff, they want to be, they want to be more in the moment. Hey, here's the situation. I get you guys are tired. So what you got enough talent to win this game like that. Every game they go into, they have to preach it that way. And they shouldn't look at Washington like, man, we're in this rut. You know, the Ulster break's coming up. Let's just so and I don't I don't think you're suggesting that, but I do think it's important to have a distinction. And part of what Pete's saying maybe is with with the the schematics or the game plan, you know, try. Hey, guys, let's put this in here because we don't want to lose three in a row. And that's all there's. If they lose the game, I will not freak out. But I do think that they should try not to lose the game. If there's one thing before, because so you can respond to that uh, in a in, in a sec, Darius. But um, in the post game, both Alex Crusoe and KCP mentioned, "Hey, we got to do more. We've been putting too much on LeBron." I think part of LeBron's MVP case for this year is that there's been a bunch of guys from AD before he's been out with the injury. From AD to KCP has been off for the better part of a month. That game last night with just 11 points broke a streak of seven straight games under double digits, right? And he hasn't scored more than 11 points since we played Milwaukee, right? Remember that game? That was a, that was a month ago. There've been a bunch of guys who have been able to kind of cruise and go below the radar. And we've still been able to be 22 and nine, while LeBron has carried such a load and both Alex and KCP were like, you know, we need to step up a little more and not rely so much on LeBron. So I guess the arguments that I'm making, I agree with you, Darius, that this time we are going through a rough patch in the ultimate. Does this impact the Lakers chances to win the title or anything? I think this this stretch is almost meaningless in in that respect. That said, the day-to-day being in the moment, like it does matter. There is, we do need to have that appropriate fear and and all that. And I know you're not saying otherwise, but I do think it was interesting. Both Alex and KCP said like, hey, all of us need to step up. And I do think there's value in that in this period of time because LeBron can cover for a lot of sins and he has so far this season. Yeah, I don't think I've articulated myself well. I'm saying that I don't see a need to make a bunch of changes or tweaks to the game plan. And I'm happy that Alex and KCP say we need to do more. We need to play better. That's true. It's true for those two specifically. I think it's true for Trez on a certain level. I think it's true for Kuz to a certain level. Like they had very good games the last game, right? But there's going to be a stretch now with Anthony Davis out where that needs to be up probably up a level and consistently from night to night, right? It's true for Wes. It's true for Mark, all of these guys, they need to do more or play better. So I'm on board with that. I'm on board with them playing harder and I'm on board with them playing smarter. I think that they can do all of that within the context of what they already do. And I'm with you guys within the context of, yes, give THT more opportunities to do things that he's good at or cook to get in the game at all and just play his normal game, right? What I'm not necessarily saying is that, like, let's change a bunch of stuff in order to try to get a single win against the Wizards, for example. That's why when you said, like, we need to win this game, and I'm just like, do they? Like, do they really? Like, I know it'd be nice 
to win this game. I know they don't want to lose three in a row. Like I get all of that. My thing is though, is you don't got to change a bunch. What you need is for West to not go two for seven on threes. What you need is for bronze shooting to come back a little bit and lessen the load a little bit on him so that he has more legs in order to finish some of these games. It's all intertwined. I just think that as a coach, personally, my philosophy would be more, I'm going to ask you to do what we do, but do it better and do it better for longer than what we have been. You guys are capable of that. That's my ask of you. Let's go get it done. I think this mostly supports Darius's point, but you guys remember last year in December and the Lakers had played, it was something ridiculous. It was something like, uh, you know, 12 of 15 games on the road or something. And so it was, you know, it was here, here it is. I'm looking at it right now. So at OKC, at Memphis, at San Antonio, at New Orleans, um, then they came home for Washington and Dallas, then at Denver, at Utah, at Portland. And those were the three like statement wins. I thought they, they beat all those teams asses and it wasn't that close. And then after that, they had to go um, one go home game against Minnesota, then at Orlando, at Miami, at Atlanta, at Indy, at Milwaukee. It was just this brutal long road stretch. And they just kind of, they just kind of petered out. Right. So they lose at Indiana. AD doesn't play in that one. They get AD back in Milwaukee. Um, they start slow. AD finishes strong. They lose that one. Then they lose to Denver at home. I think Braun missed that game. Then they lose. He did. Then they lose the Clippers on Christmas. Uh, and, and that was sort of, that was the four straight losses. And, you know, internally, I, th- I think if you look in the outside, it's like, oh, what's going on with the Lakers? But it's so easily, it's, oh, it's so easy to explain. Just like right now, it's so easy to explain why they're losing. They're tired. AD's not playing. Shooter's not playing. There's no fans. There's no juice. They haven't gotten a break since the, it's like there are 15 reasons why they're losing. So, I, I get it. Like I, I, I'm with. Uh, I, I think we've sort of explained that enough, um, and I don't think we even really disagree, <laughs> right? With, the, with what with what the sure. total approach is right now. I, I guess to to put a bow on the Miami game in particular, I thought this game represented some progress in that we defended better, uh, and especially as the game went on, we, it was the best defense we played without Anthony Davis, and doing that without Dennis Schroeder is impressive as well. I thought we found a reliable action against Miami because what I'm asking Darius is to to turn the dials of what we already do rather than injecting a bunch th- a, a lot that is new. We run spread pick and rolls. Maybe not with THT, maybe not with Quinn Cook. So to that point, fair point, right? Like it's different than what we what we normally do. Um I think that we made progress in, you know, the LeBron lineups. He was a plus 11, even though he didn't shoot well. And we created a lot of open shots because Miami hard hedged with Duncan Robinson. We were popping, going into the short roll, all that stuff we talked about earlier. I think we need to do that with our bench units too, right? And that we need to just turn the dials of what we do and, and access certain things that we, that we do uh, more often and some things less often as a function of the personnel. So it's not some massive change that I'm advocating for, but rather I think we figured out some of how to play without AD and made progress in that respect, but it's those non LeBron minutes that we still need to grow on. So anyway, 100% agree with just finding things that work. I think I would lean more towards decision-making in 
individual decision making within the things that we've already been been doing. There are just things that guys are missing a read here or there. And it's because they haven't been at they haven't been put in these same positions of shoot pass decisions without these specific guys on the floor. And it requires a certain amount of recalibration within their own mind within their own role, within the actions that we already do. And that's sort of the bigger picture point I've been trying to get to, but haven't really within all of the blabbering that I've been doing. (laughs) No, no, for sure. Well, that's what's so fascinating about basketball is there's these two approaches that we're advocating, and there's a dozen more that vote. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, could take and he's probably not going to go either of our suggested routes, right? That's what's fun about it. I think in this environment where there's so little practice, it's difficult to ask guys to take on new roles or, or make better decisions without getting those reps in in practice, which is why I've advocated for the simplification. Anyway, let's take a, a long overdue break. Um, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what this stretch means uh, in terms of seeding, how important seeding is for the Lakers. And we'll do that when we come back. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma Money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. (laughs) 
So Lakers are 22 and nine tied with the Clippers for the second best record in the league and the second best record in the West. You've got the Phoenix Suns are two games back of the Lakers and the Portland Trailblazers are game back from them. Mike, in yesterday's postgame comments, somebody asked Kuz about the idea of seeding. And Kuz was like, it doesn't really matter. You're going to meet these teams at some point uh, in, in the playoffs of Utah, a Clippers, LeBron. You know, they made it to the finals as a four seed a couple of years ago. Um, so in this stretch, I, I'm just curious, your, your overall thoughts on the importance of seeding, uh, how you see the Lakers approaching that going forward and all that. I mostly agree with Kuzma and part of what he referenced in his comments was that LeBron made it to the finals as a four seed one time, you know, it it doesn't really matter. I don't know if there's going to be a true home court advantage this year, but one thing I got to thinking, and I don't know if this has been clarified by the NBA, let's say that we're in May and the playoffs are starting and in Utah, COVID cases have gone down to some minuscule percentage and the vaccines are way up there and and they're like, Hey, right. Which would be great anywhere, period. But in terms of the NBA, let's say that in LA, it being a bigger city and a more, uh, you know, a more progressive government, they're like, yeah, uh, okay, fine. Maybe we can get to to 1000. And in Utah, they're, they're like, yeah, we're good for 15,000. It like that, (laughs) that type of thing is going to be interesting because is there going to be a big advantage for the Texas teams or for Utah or for Phoenix? compared to the Lakers and the Clippers in terms of having fans or now that I'm thinking that maybe it'd be a little harder in Utah, but maybe just like Laker fans would travel in mass and buy up all of the tickets, (laughs) even in all these road bills. But all right, so take that aside. The home court, I think, is something that we we are a little bit unclear of. But even if the Lakers didn't have home court, like I think they'd be so pumped up to be playing in front of in front of any fans that that wouldn't necessarily be some massive uh, disadvantage for them. So all of that aside, what I'm focused more a little bit more on the standings is just like, okay, you've got Phoenix. D- do people realize that they have won nine of 10 games? Uh, and in fact, let's see, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 13 of 15. Uh, like they are, they have really started to figure it out. Uh, Chris Paul has figured it out. Devin Booker now is able to be a little bit more aggressive than he was for the first week or two when he was trying to let Chris Paul put in this plan. Um, they are, they are looking really sharp. Portland is winning all these games despite not having a bunch of their guys. Now, you know, I don't think the Lakers are scared of Portland. They know what that matchup is, but it's just a, I don't think we can take for granted that the Lakers, given that AD is going to be out for a month, given the fatigue, given the malaise are just going to be a guaranteed one, two, um, or at this point, even three seed for sure. uh, Unless they really decide that they want to be, which we won't know until after the break. And again, until AD returns. So, I, that's it just got me thinking about it. I, I don't have any I haven't come to any grand conclusions yet, Darius, but it's something that's starting to creep on my mind as we see the Lakers slide a bit and we see some of these other teams rise as to at, at, at a certain point, do they say, all right, this is kind of far enough in the standings that we're going to fall regardless of home court advantage. So a couple of things. Do I think the home court advantage matters? I, like, I mean, I guess that's an that's a TBD that the fan stuff may impact things. Um, the players mentalities when they don't have fans, maybe in their own home arena, but have fans on the road, how does that impact them in terms of their general approach? Um, does that give them a different type of advantage, right? Because they're hype now. They're even more hype for road games and maybe the team who's used to having fans at home 
maybe they even have bigger letdowns on the road where there are no fans. Right, right, like there's a bunch of stuff that that could go a, a different way. The way I would frame it for the Lakers in terms of your question about like, do they look at the standings and say, is this far enough now? I I actually view this a different way, Mike and and, and Pete. I'd love to get your thoughts about this is assuming relatively good health. That's why I said like in a month from now, I'll love to see where the Lakers are, but assuming relatively good health, if this Lakers team is who we think they are in terms of talent, in terms of um, just will and drive in order to, to and and general competitiveness that I think they're going to need in the playoffs right? Even though we're talking regular season here, they're going to go on a run. Completely agree. And if they don't go on a run, then, you know, the tone of my, the tone of my comments, at least on this podcast and in what I write are going to change pretty drastically. Like there's an idea that we've been presenting on the pod a fair amount that like, we know what the Lakers ceiling is. And I think that that's true. I think we do know what the Lakers ceiling is. There's a certain amount of conflating knowing what their ceiling is and a certain assumption that at some point they're going to reach their ceiling. Right. And there will be a point in time in this season where it will become more clear to me whether or not it is likely or not that they will be reaching their ceiling. And so if this team is who we think they are, right? And we've been saying it for months that we think this team is the championship favorite, that they're the best team in the league, that they've got all this depth, that they're well coached, that they're competitive, that they've got the two best players, yada, yada, yada. If they're actually that team, at some point, they're going to have their own stretch, Mike, of nine out of 10, 13 out of 15, 19 out of 21 or or some absurd number and they're going and the standings will take care of themselves that's that's where i'm at is that like the wins and streaks like that are are results of what kind of basketball that you're playing um it's of course all of this is always dependent upon health right like i there's no expectation of LeBron or or AD to play all 72 games necessarily but if AD ends up missing 30 games of course that's going to you know that's going to hurt where where we are in in the standings but assuming relative health and this is more LeBron and AD um if if some of the role guys end up end up missing time uh I don't think it changes our fortunes a ton because we've got a great deal of depth but if we're playing we, we were a half game or a game out of the best record in basketball with Anthony Davis playing nowhere near what he's capable of playing. KCP drifting for a month. Markeith Morris hasn't joined us this season yet for the most part. A lot of this team is, is under what they're is not performing to what they're capable of. And I'm not talking like playoff capability. I'm talking like, can KCP's tour score 10 points in a regular season game? and do it more than every eight games, right? These are not terribly high expectations, right? Um, all of that was true, and we were still a half game, a game away, right? This is a period point of the season, and I think we've seen this in Washington, actually, as a team that benefits from this, and, and the the lethargy and all of that is so pervasive throughout the league that 
if you are able to summon that and able to be playing together right now, you can go on a run. I think that's part of Utah's success, right? I don't want to conflate everything that they've done to just like, oh, the league kind of stinks right now and isn't playing hard, and they're the one team that is, and therefore they have the best record in the NBA. Um, but that's you're right, though. That that is what's go that is what's going on with them. That's what's going on with Phoenix too. These are teams that are fired up because they are together. They have cohesion. Like they they have their like now kind of feels like their time. And there's these other teams like the Lakers and the Bucks and the the Nuggets and the Heat and the Clippers that aren't right in that space. So I think that's that's a totally apt way to describe it. And the Lakers also haven't yet needed to make a statement with a certain game or a certain like with a certain win, and they felt they had to last year. You know, Milwaukee and the Clippers in March, uh, as I mentioned, Denver at Portland at Utah. That was like okay, and we haven't seen them yet get to the point where they feel like they have to make a statement and they will. So Mike, I'm, I'm looking to after the all-star break, and this has been circled for, for me from the beginning of the season for when a ramp up starts. And that's just a guess on my part, but I will to Darius's point, right? Like if they don't go on that type of run, or if they don't show that they are what they think they are, then that recalibration starts to happen. But I'm not, I, I have not been in a place where I've been, thinking that that's going to happen until after the all-star break. That's where I've really been putting value on this season. Are you guys in a similar spot where like I'm where you're looking toward after the all-star break for that to happen? Yes. I think that I think this season will very much be much more in line with what we thought having LeBron on the team was going to look like in the first place. Right. Which is the general sort of, feeling things out, getting an idea of what your team team is, and then slowly ramping up as the season goes on. And then to hopefully be peaking around anywhere from three to six weeks before the playoffs start, right? Where you look to be in the type of form that you want to be in going into the playoffs. Um, I want to sort of pivot, though, because while you were talking, Pete, I had and, and Mike, please answer Pete's question is as well. But I wanted to put this to you as well, because I'd love your sort of media um, perspective on this question that that I have. One of the things that I thought fueled the Lakers last year was sort of this general sense of people don't believe in us. Right. It was LeBron was the the washed king stuff and like the AD stuff was like there was still we've talked about this before, but but like his name was a little bit sullied from the trade request um, and his departure from from New Orleans. And there were all these redemption stories with the team. And honestly, going into the season, a lot of teams had them second or third or maybe even lower in the West with the Clippers being the presumptive favorites. And this year, I feel like it's been the opposite. Everyone has said the Lakers are the favorites. Like, even as the Jazz are ripping off these long win streaks, people are still just like, ah, I'm not sure about the Jazz. The Lakers are probably still still my favorites. Um, Mike, I thought that road trip that you mentioned where those signature wins, the back-to-back in Utah and Denver and Portland, um, that those were sort of in response to me to like a lot of media chirping, like, oh, their schedule's been soft. 
Like, who have they played? Who have they beaten? They can't beat the good teams. They've already lost to the Clippers a couple of times. Like, And there was a lot of that stuff going on. And they went out and said, oh, oh, like, that's what you think? Well, I'm going to go out here or, or we're going to go out here and we're going to kick these teams' asses, right? And you don't know who we are. We're going to show you. And I feel like this year there's been a fair amount of like, oh, we don't have to show you. You already think that we're that. And so I'm wondering if maybe this downturn, will this in a weird perverse way sort of help them find their stride in terms of like, maybe the doubts do start to come and they do sort of start to feel like they have something to prove again, or am I off base with that? Take it wherever you want to go. No, you're, you're a hundred percent on with that. And it's also, I, I think the season sets up, decently well in this case in that now is a good time for this lull and their fast start has allowed for it in terms of standings and in terms of confidence and those other things. And so this does, this should shape up to be where they can make a, a final push like Pete just referred to. And, and then the standings sort of take care of themselves in one way. And then they also can, whether it's for themselves or for media when everybody now, when they see that the Jazz are number one in the power rankings and teams are starting to pick them, you know, that that stuff, that will start to get to them. And they will get the questions then from people like me. Hey, like before the Utah game, this is what I was going to ask if AD were playing. And now I probably won't. But hey, hey, bro, did you hear Giannis say that he thought that Utah was kind of the team to beat in the West? <laughs> the team, just little stuff like that, right? That you and, it, wait, and they're like, in Darius' voice, oh? You know, that's the type of stuff that I think they're not quite ready to engage in, but they will be soon and and soon being after the all-star break. Once they know what the rest of the schedule is, once they get a look and see, okay, here's this trip, you know, we still have to make the trip East um, against certain teams. They already did one Eastern trip and they also are going to have a bunch of home games against some teams uh, at the end of the schedule too. So I think all that's coming and it's, it, it is something to look forward to because we will see them flex again. They are not flexing right now, but we will see the flex come. Yeah. I think in terms of seating, I think it ultimately doesn't matter a whole ton. It's also the only reason we're in the conversation for the four seed is more, uh, a, it's, uh, the only reason we're, we're talking about potentially slipping is because those teams are playing exceptionally well. The Suns are 19 and 10. How often does a four seed play 655 percentage basketball, right? That's it's relatively uncommon. And the West is very strong, particularly relative to the East. But I think that you've this pre all-star break, uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if this is that kind of toned down ramp down version of the Lakers that we've seen is, uh, is intentional, right? And that's why after the break is where I'm really going to start putting more um, more stock in how the Lakers are playing. You know, uh, any any final thoughts, Steve, before we wrap it up? No, I think that that's just a good place to end. Honestly, like, look, man, I I I hate to to beat a dead horse here, but I just think that this is just an incredibly tough stretch for this team right now, both from um, a health standpoint, which is unfortunate with AD and then Schroeder, um, who is apparently in contact tracing, but uh, there's no been no official report about that. But 
them them being out and just the general sort of repeat like trying to defend your championship stuff that comes up every year for most teams who are trying to do exactly what the Lakers are trying to do and it's all sort of hitting them at once and I think it's unfortunate for them in the big picture I hope they can be better off for this but time will tell and um I just want them to get the needed break that they that they need though and um especially lebron who um i know that he will be reasoned in his comments but during the games i'm seeing a more and more like sort of bits of frustration from him coming out he's clearly super competitive he wants to win these games and and it's not happening right now and so almost for his own sort of mental health too i want them to sort of play better and i want guys to lift him in the same way that he's been lifting them up and and so those comments that you mentioned earlier from from alex and from kcp those those are heartening for me to hear because i hope that that sort of symbiotic relationship that all teams need to have between their role players and and their stars that's been out of balance a bit lately and and i'm hoping if there's something i want to see in these next hand handful of games it's for those guys to lift lebron up even if he can't perform to his normal stance standards cuz his lift has been so heavy so far this year yeah that's part of the reason why i think the washington game is important to to win that that's fair. to you know, get get that even mental health standpoint back on track. Uh, the only the only thing it just made me chuckle with the LeBron stuff because it's another one of those conversations that we've heard a million times in his career. And guess what? If LeBron's on the court, he's doing the heavy lifting. Sorry, you you can't. It's just what's going to happen. Uh, it's and it's part of it's because that's what LeBron likes to do. Part of it is because he's too good not to. So yes, in the in the terms of like if Caruso missed a shot that could have tied the game I, he was in from my vantage point it looked like he was from i just assumed that he was spaced out to three he wasn't um or wesley matthews could have hit the three on the previous possession which was kind of a weird bro, uh, play in the fact where he wasn't set blah 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 blah. so all that stuff could happen those guys wanted to deliver for lebron but you're not just gonna like this these guys are just gonna dominate some other team where lebron can just coast through the game you know it's it, and i know you guys aren't saying that it's just like yeah yeah not gonna happen yeah well Got this Washington game coming up on Monday. Let's hopefully uh, get that W, have everybody pick up a little more slack so that the heavy lift that LeBron always does isn't quite so heavy. But until then, and listen to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. One. Missing. Unbelievable.
Seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.